morning. What are you guys doing here? Don't you know it's Labor Day? I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Um, I prepared a message, so I'm glad somebody showed up for it. I appreciate that you're here today. Um, I want to start with a question. Have you ever had someone uh, give you a job to do, tell you to do something or want you to do it, but never taught you how to do it? Never shown you how to do it? That can be really frustrating. Um, I remember this wasn't exactly a job, but I remember one instance in particular when I was in junior high. Um, I was out here back when I lived in Illinois. I was out here visiting, and a, a friend of my family from out here invited me to go to like their ranch for the weekend and, and help out up there. And uh, so we got ready to go do something. I don't remember where we were going, and he, um, he said, hey, we're going to jump on the four-wheelers, and we're going to go do this and this. And I said, okay. I've never ridden a four-wheeler before. And so, so it's easy. You know, here's the brake, and here's the throttle. And so he took off, and he took off fast. And we were in the mountains, and I had, no, I had to keep up with him because I had no idea where I was going. So I would have got lost if I lost sight of him. So I'm cruising along on this four-wheeler, really trying to keep up with this guy. And we come over this little crest, and he flies over it, and I come over it, and there's a big boulder sitting there. And I hit it head-on and flip over the four-wheeler and... Um, pretty scary, uh, didn't have a helmet or anything on, and uh, I was okay, aside from really scraped up, but the part that got me is, is the guy that owned the ranch, and it was his four-wheeler, was mad at me, and uh, he never showed me how to ride a four-wheeler, I didn't know what I was doing, you just said jump on and keep up with me, and so it was really, actually more than anything, I was embarrassed, you know, um, that I, I felt like, man, I sh- you should know how to do that already, we shouldn't have to show you how to do that. And so I remember being frustrated and upset and embarrassed that they were upset with me because they told me to do this thing and I had no idea how to do it. Um, it's discouraging, isn't it? It's frustrating. Uh, the same thing is true in, in church and in the spiritual realm. Um, my grandfather told me a story when I first started um, pastoring the church. Uh, and it really stuck out in my head as I, you know, first learning how to prepare sermons and things. And he said he had this uh, instance one time where he prepared a sermon for Sunday morning and, and got up to, to preach it. And, and, you know, he felt that it just went really well. You know, uh, he, he felt that he got his point across and he taught well. Um, and after church, you know, people were shaking his hand and thank you, Pastor Chuck. Um, that was a great sermon. That was a great sermon. He said one guy came by with tears in his eyes um, and uh, shook Grandpa's hand. And he said, don't ever make me feel guilty for not doing something and then not tell me how to do it. Don't ever make me feel guilty for failing to live out my Christian life when you haven't shown me how. And uh, that really stuck with my grandpa, you know, because when you you preach a sermon, when you teach scripture, there's conviction that comes along with it quite often. But once we have that conviction, once we know, man, I'm not living the way I'm supposed to, then the next question is, how do I? (laughs) What am I supposed to do next? I don't want to just go through the week feeling guilty. Um, and feeling convicted. So where do I go from here? And how do I live? And what do I do? And so that's what we're talking about this Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about um, the fact that God wants us to thrive. Uh, And we talked about worshiping and serving God with our money and uh, what it is that God wants to accomplish in us. We talked about uh, that he wants us to trust his riches, um, that we put our faith and our trust in him and not not our ability to, to take care of ourselves. And the second thing that he accomplishes in us is we talked about investing in the, the ventures of eternity, uh, that we begin to value eternal things, the things of God more than the things of this earth. 
And so as I, as I preached that sermon last Sunday, and I don't, I don't normally say this. It feels kind of weird for me to even say this. I hope it convicted you. <laughs> I hope it was convicting. And, and, and as I shared last Sunday, if you were here, the reason is it was convicting for me. Um, that was a difficult sermon for me to preach. If, if you weren't here last Sunday, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to it. Uh, partly because it was a very difficult thing for me to say and preach. Um, and I think, I feel really convicted that last week was something God really wanted me to say, um, even though I didn't want to, and I fought him on it. And so if, if, if you weren't here, I just, I just encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. And, and after preaching that sermon and coming to, you know, just the place I was in my life and being convicted by that and knowing that I was in disobedience to God, then the next question, like we talked about, is then what should I do? What does this look like? How do I really serve God with my money, with my finances, with the material things in my life? And so this Sunday, the message is entitled, The Way That God Wants Us to Thrive. (laughs) The Way That God Wants Us to Thrive. And we're going to talk about three things. Uh, We're going to talk about our giving uh, should be intentional. Uh, We're going to talk about the fact that our giving should be generous. And then finally, that our giving should be sacrificial. That's the path. That's the way. That's how we become obedient to God in this area of our lives. And as I shared last week, um, when we decide to live in that obedience to God, there's great peace and there's great confidence that those things accomplish. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, but I want to open up with a word of prayer. Father, as we come today, I ask, uh, as I always do, that you would speak. We want to hear from you. We want you to open up your word. Uh, We want you to fill us with your spirit, and we want you to speak to us today. Father, as we come I have no idea where each and every person is in this area of their lives. Uh, But you know, and you know our hearts intimately. And so I ask that you would speak to each one of us the words that we need to hear. Father, uh, uh, I'm always aware, but I'm especially aware today that I am painfully inadequate of bringing this message and speaking your words. And so I ask that you would overcome me, that you would get me out of the way, and that we would simply hear you and your will for our lives today. Bless our time with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk about is that our giving should be intentional. Uh, Most of you have probably learned in life that unless you're intentional about something, it never gets done, right? Um, unless, Unless you're intentional about doing it, as long as it's just an idea or a thought or something I might do, it never does get done. Uh, when you come up with a plan, when you set a date, um, you get things done. When you don't come up with a plan, you don't set a date, then it lives on the back burner forever. Uh, my wife and I realize this every single fall when the kids start school again. And we look back and go, you know, we, got, we never got that room painted. You know what? We never put up that shed. <laughs> you know what? We never did that work in the backyard. We never got the garden going like we wanted to. And you know why? Because at the beginning of the summer, we said, you know, we should do these things. Never picked a date. Never picked a time, never put it on the calendar, so it didn't get done. Uh, if you're not intentional, it doesn't happen. So there's a few different aspects of, of being intentional in this area of our lives. There's a few different things that Scripture tells us. And the first is that we need to put it on our schedule. Uh, we need to give on a schedule. Uh, we need to set a time. And what I mean by that is 1 Corinthians 16.2 says... On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Now, that's Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And uh, they're they're pooling their resources to, to continue their church in Corinth and to support Paul in his missionary journeys. 
And so what Paul is saying is when I show up, I shouldn't show up and say, hey, let's take a big collection. What he's saying is every week, you should just be intentional. You should be scheduled. And, and you should bring money in, in keeping with how you prosper, in, in proportion to what God has done for you that week. Uh, bring something so when I show up, we don't have to make a collection. The truth is, things don't get done unless they're on a schedule. And the important things go on your calendar, don't they? The things that are important, you save the date. Things that are important, you save the date. You save the time. Uh, and so the important things go on our schedule. So our giving needs to be scheduled. Now, there's a side note in that verse um, that I feel like I need to share today. He says, uh, when I come, there, there shouldn't be, we, we shouldn't need to have a collection. We shouldn't need to show up and, and have a fundraiser when Paul shows up. Now, I think that's interesting because I don't like fundraising. I don't like fundraisers, uh, especially in the church. I mean, it's okay with the kids as long as they're selling like cookie dough or, you know, something good like that. But in the church, I don't like fundraisers. And here's the reason why. It's not intentional. Uh, it's not scheduled. It's something that, that comes up that we say, well, I should probably give to that. And I have seen... Now, we don't do this. I love you guys, and, and we always in our fundraising efforts have had a good heart, and I know that. But I have seen, spoke with other pastors and seen other churches where that's how people hold the church hostage. You will only spend money on the things that I give towards. And if I don't think this youth trip's important, I'm not going to give towards that. I'm not going to give that fundraiser. But if I think this other thing's important, then I'll give to that fundraiser. And you hold the church hostage. You'll only do the things that I approve, that I say are going to happen. And it's been incredibly unhealthy in certain situations. And so I'm not a fan of fundraising. The truth is, in our church, if every single one of us was intentional, obedient to God about our giving, then we wouldn't do fundraisers. We'd be able to give to missionaries. We'd be able to go on mission trips. We'd be able to buy a van. We'd be able to do the things that we need to do. Uh, That's what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians. Put it on your schedule so that we don't have to make a big collection. So it'll just be there and ready for when, when God leads us to do something. The second uh, part of being intentional is that we give our first and best. So we put it on our schedule, and then we give our first and best. Leviticus 23.10 says, When you enter the land that I am giving you and reap its harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest. Now, the story there is God bringing his people out of exile into the great land, the prosperous land that he has prepared for them. So he says, when you show up in this great land that I'm blessing with you, you with, and you have your first harvest, for the first time, you're not working to feed the Egyptians. <laughs> you're working to feed yourselves. You're going to have this great harvest, and the first thing that you do, the very first sheaf of grain, you bring to the temple. You bring that to worship. Your first and best. The truth is God doesn't like leftovers. I don't like leftovers either. Luckily, with five children, we don't have leftovers. God doesn't like leftovers. Now, Bible trivia, this one's a pretty easy one. What's the first death in the Bible? What's that? Cain and Abel, right. And I think it's also important that the very first death in Scripture is a murder, isn't it? right after the fall of man, right after sin enters the world. So we know that story. We know that, that, uh, that this took place. But I want you to look at, at what led up to that. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, 
It says the man, Adam, was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Now, what was the difference between their offering? Um, I, I, I like to imagine that the one was meat, so it was way better than the vegetables. <laughs> but the truth is, we saw in Leviticus, God was okay with offerings that aren't meat, right? In fact, God requires that. The difference is, one of them brought some of his harvest. The other one brought his first and best. The, the fat portions, the, the, you know, the fat portion is the, the, sirlo, the ribeye, the, the T-bone, whatever your favorite steak is. The fat portion is the best of the firstborn of his flock. He brought his first and best to God. Giving as an afterthought is not pleasing to God. It's not intentional. It's not important to you. God wants our first and best. And the last part of being intentional is that we give to our church, to our, and I'm not just saying a building or an organization, to our brothers and sisters that we worship with and minister with on a regular basis. That's where we give. Every New Testament instance we have that we just talked about in 1 Corinthians that we see in the book of Acts is, is the church pooling their resources wherever they're at, wherever they're meeting. It's not intentional to say, well, I give when a, a special need arises. Um, you know, I, I give my money when I see the firefighter with the boot or when I see that little red kettle outside the store. Those are great. <laughs> you should definitely give to those things and whichever one's on your heart. But that is not your intentional worship of God. That's a different thing. We give here to what God is doing here so our church can use that for our ministry as well as ministry across the world. Let me share with you. Um, in Philippians four fifteen through 20, last week we talked about the fact that the Philippian church did exactly that. They, they collected money when they got together each week and they set it aside uh, for the purpose of spreading the gospel. And we find out in Acts eighteen five that Paul, uh, Paul was a bivocational minister. Uh, most of the time he traveled around as a tent maker, um, as a leather worker. And uh, he made money doing that so he could continue to travel and spread the gospel. But when the Philippian church started supporting him, he gave his full time to the ministry after that. He didn't have to work. And the, that happened because that local church was pooling their resources and then using it for the gospel. Now, I want to share with you that in 1961, uh, there was 15 people that pooled their resources because they wanted to spread the gospel in their community. They wanted to plant a church on the St. Charles Mesa. In 1968, they became Pleasant View Baptist Church. Pleasant View Baptist Church, right off 29th Lane. Uh, in the late 1970s, they bought um, acreage right on the highway. In 1984, they built a sanctuary. In 1989, uh, they built a fellowship hall. And not too long ago, they built an educational wing. And I share that because if you have accepted Christ here, if you have been baptized here, if you have grown in your relationship with Jesus here, it's because of the faithful, intentional giving of all of our brothers and sisters in the past. 
It is because of their intentional giving, their pooling of their resources, that you and I are sitting here today, worshiping, growing, spreading the gospel. It's because of what they have done. We stand on their shoulders. And in addition to that, our denomination, we belong to the Southern Baptist Convention. And what we do is is our churches, all as individual churches, pool our resources. And then the churches in our association, in our region, pool our resources, the state of Colorado, the nation. And we use that to spread the gospel all over the U.S. and all over the world. Um, Our church uh, gives a certain percentage um, to the Southern Baptist Convention for local Colorado missions as well as missions all over the world. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Christian missionary sending organization in the world. We send more Christian missionaries all around the world than any other Christian organization. Um, In fact, almost more than any other group, period, the Mormons have us beat. Um, But other than that... Um, we, we send more missionaries than any other group in the world. I've been in a, uh, in the last three weeks, I was in a doctorate seminar. Uh, it's an online seminar. And there was uh, 11 of us in, in the seminar. And of those 11, uh, we had a person in Korea, one in China, one in Japan, and one in Nepal in that group, all doing mission work. Some were missionaries, a couple were chaplains. Um, all over the world, spreading the gospel, doing the work of Jesus Christ. Because we come together and we intentionally set aside money to support the furthering of the gospel in our community, in our state, in our country, and across the world. Intentionally. You must decide when to give, what to give, and where to give. On a schedule, your first and best to your local church. You must decide when to give, what to give, and where to give, or you will never actually give. It has to be intentional. So the second thing that we talked about, the way that we thrive, the way that we're obedient in this area of our lives, is we give generously. Our giving needs to be generous. Luke 6.38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, that's a general kingdom principle. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke all record Jesus talking about that. And he actually applies it to many different things. He applies it to forgiveness. uh, He applies it to spreading the gospel. And he applies it to our offerings. Um, That's a general kingdom principle. And as we spoke about last week, when we get this wrong, um, we think that our disobedience, our um, taking care of ourselves, our putting ourselves first, um, will end in blessing, will result in blessing. If I put myself first, then I will be blessed. I'm blessing myself. Um, And that's the opposite of the kingdom principle. He says, your generosity will result in overflowing blessings. The measure that you use, that's what will be given back to you. Giving needs to be generous. Simply put, in the area of giving, obedience comes first and then the blessing. Obedience comes first and then the blessing. And the depth of your obedience will determine the depth of your blessing. That's the kingdom principle. The depth of your obedience, your generosity and your giving will be the depth of the blessing that you receive. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, this is the point. (laughs) The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. The third last thing that I want to talk about is that our giving should be sacrificial. 
Our giving should be sacrificial. Uh, I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of Mark. Um, a very familiar story, but I think it's important to open up our Bibles and look at it again. Uh, in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, I want to look at uh, close to the end of that chapter, verses 41 through 44. Sitting across from the temple treasury, Jesus watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. God is not impressed with the amount that we give, not even the percentage. Not even if you say, that guy gives 10%, I give 21%, so I'm much more godly. He's not impressed with the amount. He's not impressed with the percentage. God is pleased with sacrifice. Just think for a minute how many times that word shows up in the Bible from cover to cover. Sacrifice. God is pleased with sacrifice. Now, that truth actually has two sides. The first one is that you have, if you have very little, if you're just scraping to get by, there's really good news for you. And the news is, if you don't have a lot to give, that's not a big deal. What seems like just a little bit of money to you or to someone else is a beautiful gift to God from you because you're sacrificing. See how beautiful that is? If I come along and I say, man, I want to I give to the church. I want to help this ministry. But is my $20 going to matter? That's all I can afford. That is a beautiful gift to God. Beautiful gift to God. But for those of us who do have more than we need, <laughs> there's a warning in this passage. Is your giving easy? Are you giving out of your leftovers? Even if you give more than anyone else in the church, even if you're the biggest giver in the church, what is it that pleases God? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. So maybe it's time, self-included, for some of us to take, back and, uh, take a step back and rethink our giving. Maybe it's time to make a new sacrifice to God. Don't think about how much you're giving. Think about how much you're sacrificing. That's the important point. Don't concentrate on how much you give to him. Concentrate on how much you sacrifice for him. And just like all the other spiritual disciplines, when we grab a hold of this concept, we experience a brand new kind of intimacy with God. There is blessing on the other side of it. Our giving should be sacrificial. So now that we have a few guidelines, uh, in order to worship God with our money, in order to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in us, remember from last week, what we're talking about is God has a couple things he really wants to do in your heart. He wants you to trust that he can take care of you, trust in his riches. And he wants you to value the things of eternity over anything else here on earth. He wants those to be the most important. So the way he is accomplishing those things is, is that we learn to give intentionally on a schedule, our first and best. Give to our local church. He wants us to be generous. Your blessing will, will, will be proportionate to your obedience and your giving. And, and the last one is he wants us to be sacrificial. 
It's not what you give. It's what you give up. It's not what you give. It's what you give up. There's one more thing that we need to know. Earlier, I quoted a passage from 2 Corinthians, uh, just one verse. Uh, But I want to look at uh, a little more context of that one verse. It came from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9. And I quoted 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But I want to read verses 5 through 8 for you now. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 5 through 8. Therefore, I consider it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange and advance the generous gift that you promised. So it will be ready as a gift and not as extortion. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Look at verse 7. Each person should do as he decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion. Since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. In the center of all this, uh, everything that we've talked about, being intentional and generous and sacrificial, our giving should be joyful. Every bit of it should be joyful. And that's hard. That's an easy thing to say, right? I'm going to make a sacrifice and it's going to be wonderful. I love this sacrifice. The truth about sacrifice is it's hard, right? The truth about being intentional is is I have to be intentional. I have to put work into it. Truth about generosity is I have to to be intentional about being generous. I have to, to give generously. And those things aren't easy. How can I be joyful about that? How can I be excited about making those sacrifices? I want to remind you of something that I shared with you a year ago. Um, Just about a year ago now, I preached a sermon up here with both my arms in slings. Uh, It was my first sermon back. And I shared with you a passage that I learned a lot about through that time in my life. It was James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it a great joy... My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I don't know if you remember that sermon from a year ago, but what I shared with you is how much I hated that verse um, when I was going through trials, because people would say that. I don't know if you've ever been through a hard time in your life and someone comes up and says, hey, consider it pure joy. Like, no, no. And if you remember what we talked about, what I learned about that is that it starts with consider it, count on it, plan on it being joy. That's what the description behind that is. Every verse from there on out is saying why we should count on it being joy. And the reason is because God is accomplishing something in us. That, that he wants to uh, have us be mature and complete. And that comes from our faith being tested and enduring through that. So when your faith is tested and you go through the trial, you can count that joy will be on the other end of it. You can count on it and you can plan on it. Giving is hard. Being intentional is hard. Being generous is hard. And especially being sacrificial is hard. How do, how do we give joyfully? God wants a joyful giver. How do we do that? 
We count it as joy. We consider it joy. Know that through the discipline, God will accomplish something great in you. You will have a whole new trust in him and you will no longer be a slave to the material world around you. Remember, that's what God's accomplishing in us. He wants us to trust him and he doesn't want us to be slaves to this world and the material things around us. And so as we do the hard discipline of giving, we can count it joy. And I don't know how many of you have experienced this. I have experienced it and then I've fallen back. I've backslidden. But those of you who have taken that time, who have been disciplined about this, who have, who have made sacrifices to give to God, have you gotten to the place later where you've seen God deliver you, you've seen God bless you and do great things for you, and the next time you give, it's joyful, isn't it? God loves a joyful giver. Count it, consider it, plan on it. Might not be easy when you start. But God loves to see you begin to give joyfully because you're trusting in him and you're putting eternity before the world. It's a tough discipline, but it produces wonderful fruit. And really in that way, it's like the gospel. It's hard to give my life over to Jesus Christ. It's a difficult thing to say, I've, I, I quit trying. I can't do it. I can't accomplish it. I can't be righteous on my own. I quit. <laughs> and we put our faith in Jesus. We trust him, and we begin to keep an eye on eternity instead of this earthly realm, this world that we live in. And when we do that, we experience incredible blessing, incredible joy, incredible peace. That's where this journey begins. And then it continues in every aspect, in our giving, in our marriage, in the way that we raise our children, in sharing the gospel in our lives and at work. That's, that's the kingdom principle. That's the way this all works from Jesus till the day that we go home to be with him. Amen. Stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the incredible plans that you have for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. And I don't know whether Jeremiah knew it or not when he wrote that, but you have planned to give us a future in eternity seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. What a hope. What a future. Father, as we walk on this earth, I ask that every area of our life would grow more and more in submission to you. Uh, Every area. I know what we've talked about today is just one. And I know it's a difficult one for a lot of us. And so, Father, I ask that we would just move forward. uh, That we would begin to be intentional and generous and sacrificial, even if it's just a little step. Even if it's just a move forward. And I ask, Father, as we step into that obedience in those different areas, or we move forward from where we've been in obedience, that we would see a glimpse of the great plans that you have for us. And we have a deeper intimacy with you, a better trust of you, an eye towards eternity. Lord, I ask that as we, we, we move forward a little bit more this week in obedience, that we would see more and more of you. And we would begin to have joy in the difficult things because we see the blessings that we receive through that. Father, I ask that you would speak clearly uh, what, what this lesson today means for each and every one of us. Um, I know what it means for me. I know what you're doing in my heart. I know what you have planned for me, and I know what I need to do. So, Father, I ask that you would do that same work in each and every heart that's here. Um, That today, as we leave this place, there's not just conviction, uh, but there's a plan. There's a hope. 
There's a future. I ask that each and every one of us would know what that next step is and what you'd have for us and that we would follow in obedience and experience that joy. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your incredible love. Father, we recognize that the one who has already given his son for us will not withhold any good thing. The only way that we can have faith that you will care for us, that if we trust you, you will provide for us, that if we leave behind the things of this world and have an eye towards eternity, that you will provide that for us. The only way that we know these things are true is because you have first and foremost provided Jesus Christ, his death for the forgiveness of our sins, to pay the price for all that we've done wrong, his resurrection to give us brand new life as children of God, seated in the heavenly realms. Father, you've already done that. What is it that you will withhold from us now? What promise from you can we doubt when you've already given us your son? Father, lead us today as we leave here. Let us know what our next step of knowing you better looks like and then empower us to accomplish it. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. We are your children in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.